Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen with me, Eleanor Hawkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by a courtroom filled with gentlemen, Catherine Curzon. And why have you brought a courtroom filled with gentlemen with you, Catherine? I have a courtroom filled with gentlemen with me today because we are going to be talking about romantic suspense. And that means we're going to be talking a little bit about crime. Oh, indeed. Uh, as you may know, uh, we have uh, lots of books out at the moment. Um, at the end of March, we had um, a novel out called The Colour of Mermaids. And we've got another one out on the 5th of May called The Man in Room 423. And they're both romantic suspense. They are MF romantic suspense. So that's a lady and a chap. Um, lady and a gentleman. Yes. Uh, and hooray. up front, as we said before, this is a corona-free zone. Indeed. So... That's it. Yeah, we're not here to talk about what's... So we're here to talk about um, switching as we have. Well, we're not switched, but anyone that's read our MM novels will know that we kind of like to genre hop. We do. So we've done, you know, wartime romance and we've done um, domestic family dramas and we've done comedy and everything you can think of in between. We haven't. We haven't done sci-fi or horror, actually. No. Um, No. Probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> the zombie, Captain and the Zombie, actually, I could write that, I'd be all over that. Um, but we occasionally sort of like push our noses into a completely different genre, which mm-hmm. we did with um, The Colour of Mermaids and Indeed. The Man in Room 423. Indeed. So the romantic suspense. Um, I'm not, the interesting thing, actually, is that The Man in Room 423. It's out in May. We actually wrote it quite some time ago. It was the second mm. thing we worked on after we wrote The Captain and the mm. Cavalry Trooper. Um, and then eventually when we came to write The the, the Colour of Mermaids, it kind of had its natural pair. Although the stories yeah. aren't actually linked, they are linked thematically because they're both romantic suspense. So, um, so it works out quite nicely with them coming out uh, just near each other. So, Yeah, exactly. Um the Colour of Mermaids is out now, um, and that's a story about a lady named Eva who goes to an art show by the sort of like bad boy of British art, Daniel. Um, and he's a, he's a bit of a poser. He's always in black and he won't take off his Ray-Bans. Um, and she's quite critical of his art. You know, he's, he does very shocking and quite surreal abstract pieces. Mm. And he's won all kinds of awards and he's lauded to the heavens and he's got this massively messy personal history you know um and she's quite uncomplimentary about his work and oops he hears her yeah she's because she's one of those pe- people who everybody goes around and go oh you're wonderful darling oh yes he's surrounded by yes men essentially mm. and and eva just she's not really into all of that she's like mm. she does commercial art and things and she just sort of says well I think he should just push himself a bit. I think he's just doing he's just doing his thing and he should try doing a bit more. And for him to hear somebody not, you know, not just saying how amazing he is is quite different. It's quite a different experience for him, isn't it, mm. at that point in his career? Yeah, but he doesn't take offence. He doesn't. He sort of um takes the opposite. He quite likes the challenge. <laughs> um and they 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 get on in other ways, let's put it that way. So very they start well. <laughs> a very sort of passionate, aff- I say affair, but, you know, they're both single, but it's a fling. Exactly. Um, and and it's pretty much is entirely sort of based in sex. Exactly. Um, and it's 
but it soon becomes apparent to Eva, who really does actually quite want more of an emotional connection eventually, mm. that Daniel has got lots of demons, as they say, and is, I think, troubled is the polite way of saying it. Yes. <laughs> and Eva's the sort of person who she's had, she's had a very nice, um, she's got a very nice family, she's had a very nice upbringing, she doesn't have anything to complain about really, and she likes doing sort of outreach projects with mm. art for like troubled kids and so in a way he becomes she mm. sort of sees him through that lens I think doesn't she as somebody mm. who's a bit troubled and perhaps she can help um yeah yes <laughs> and Daniel has been um Daniel's grown up in care um mm. and comes from a very unhappy background and we can't really say too much about that because that will give away quite a big moment in the story <laughs> I can't even talk about the inspiration for it because that gives it away hugely <laughs> But the plot for this one, I don't know if you remember this, Eleanor, I was walking Pippa, my dog, um, and it was a Sunday morning and I was walking through my village and I suddenly had this idea for a full plot um, and I got out my phone and I spoke it into the recorder to record it before I forgot it. And then when I got home, I Googled it because I thought this must be something that I've seen or this must exist. Mm because I can imagine the plot front to back almost like the con, you know, the concept and what's going to happen at the end and what the twist is and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, but no, it didn't exist, no. but it does now. It does now. It does it now. Does now. Um, and it's, it is, this one is quite a dark book. It, yeah, it definitely. It definitely is. It's got some very dark themes. It's got some very dark things that happened in the past. Mm. But it is, again, it's got, um, and again, it won't surprise anyone. We're not spoiling anything to say that it's a curse in Harkstead, so it does have a happy ending. Exactly. So you, you can mm. read it knowing that, that it, it, it is dark, but yeah. there is a nice ending to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, and one of our readers actually said that. She said that I knew that the end would be happy, but she mm. said that there were moments when getting there, I was like, oh, I don't know how it can be. <laughs> don't know how they're going to conjure a happy ending out of this. But it's one of those about sort of, instead of running away from what's troubling you or trying to sort of self-medicate it with drugs and booze and, mm. you know, sort of like mildly sort of, you know, not literally because it's not that sort of sex, but sort of, if you like damaging sex, just in terms of it knocking out a little bit more of your self-esteem every time, that kind of thing, mm. you know, sort of nameless trysts. Yeah. It's, it's about sort of going, instead of just pushing all that down, and trying to self-medicate it in a quite damaging way about facing it head on, if you like, which can be a lot more upsetting and a lot more difficult, but ultimately, not always, you know, I'm not pretending it's a salve for everything, but ultimately sometimes it can also be the way through. Exactly. So we can, you know, to come to terms with mm. things and to move on. But what we wanted to talk about besides us, so in fact, we better do a quick pressies of 43 so you know oh, what we're we talking about. Yeah. Um, that's, um, and both of the stories do have a crime element. Mm. Um, but 423s is much more, um, much more current. It's what's, the, the crime element in Colour of Mermaids is something in the past. Yeah. But although there is certainly crime in the story, but in 423, it's something that's happening right now. Indeed. So it's the first, The Colour of Mermaids is set in Brighton. Um, the, the Man in Room 423 is a bit more urban because it's set in Manchester. Manchester. Um, Manchester. Um, and it opens with um, a woman who's having a cocktail with her sister and she gets a bit bored and she looks outside and she sees a man in the window of a hotel room opposite and their eyes meet. Um, they 
she goes to see him, mm. uh, and, and they and uh, source ensues. Um, but what's happening is this is all with the backdrop of there being um, a poisoner, mm. a serial killer poisoner roaming. Lon- uh, they've they've roamed through London, they think in the past. They're now mm. roaming through Manchester, um, and so there's that that sort of sense of threat in the background at the same time as Lizzie um, embarks on her steamy affair mm. with, the, with the mystery man in the hotel mystery room. Man. Um, and Lizzie's, Lizzie's sister is a wag. I don't know if um, any non-English viewers will know that, but wags came to prominence in the World <laughs> Cup a few years ago as wives and girlfriends of essentially, not always, but mostly Premier League footballers. Indeed. Um, and Lizzie's sister Donna is the wag of a Manchester City star. Uh, Manchester City, for those who don't know, but there's some out there being a football club, a hugely successful football club, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's not giving anything away because it happens kind of midway through. It's a big moment in the plot. But that Lizzie's brother-in-law, Donna's husband, is being targeted, apparently, by the poisoner. He's being stalked. Indeed. Um, and that stalker starts to take an interest in Lizzie. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. But... We obviously, um, without we don't want to give too much away, so that's the story. And she continues her relationship with the lovely Ben, mm. um, which turns into a lot more than just kind of like sex, you know. Mm. Um, it turns into a very sweet mutual relationship. It does. While they're both trying to navigate these waters of Ben investigating um, the poisonings and Lizzie apparently being... Um, targeted by someone who may be that person but may equally just be a random nut exactly oh sh- can can i can i talk about just quickly um the inspiration for the opening of the book yeah um many years ago i went to manchester with a friend of mine on my birthday we were going to go out and we were booked into a hotel and we were just basically just in this hotel room drinking wine because, of course, that's classy. And um, the hotel looked out across another hotel. And when we were sitting there, we realised we, we could we were watching people in their rooms because they hadn't shut their curtains. Um, and it's just it's one of those things. I think if you're a novelist, you may well tend to people watch. Um, and one man was a bit of a silver fox. Um, we realised he was without realising he had an audience was like, in his room with a towel wrapped around his waist. Without realising. With Well, maybe he knew. I don't know. Mm. Um, he could have... We waved to him and then he sort of... Then he suddenly realised that he he sort of tentatively waved back. And then he then he actually hurried to the bathroom. But as he got to the door of the bathroom, he, his, he dropped his towel and we saw his... Um, th- we saw a bottom. You shouldn't um, have waved at him. That's mean. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so from that um, slightly almost carry-on film-esque moment, um, the opening of that story evolved into a far more sort of um, seductive, um, much uh, you know, uh, sort of sort of setup. So mm. that's that's where it came from. But what we wanted to talk about today, um, although we've spent a while getting there, was. Um... Just basically the differences inherent in writing because we don't really write that many suspense novels. We don't. Um, we don't really write that many crime novels. Um, so this was a bit of a learning curve for us. Mm. And when we set out, we were initially we did talk about making this something that we focus on that we should oh we should write more of these. Mm. Um, but obviously anyone that knows what we our output knows that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And there's no reason for that. But I think one of the things that we found very a little bit more difficult or more challenging mm. is we like to we we like to sort of create I don't know how to put it. We like to have an idea for the story, but kind of like fill it in as we go along. Yeah. Whereas so something don't like this, a... you can't have dangling threads because it has to tie up at the end to solve the crime. Yeah, because I think we fall somewhere between... Um, a lot of writers talk about being a pantser or a plotter. Um, and I think we don't go 100% plotting everything out. Um, we like to have a little bit of room. But I think... I mean, there are some crime writers who don't plot at all. But I think we felt... Having both of us writing together, we do need to have a sense of direction. And that's normally what we do is we have an outline. But we realised that for writing suspenses together, we really had to make sure that it was very tightly plotted in advance, didn't we, I think? Mm. 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 Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, it doesn't necessarily suit how we write. No. It doesn't allow for that to go, oh, well, like now we've learned this about the cat. I mean, it does because you can change anything that you like while you're writing. But mm. when you've balanced it very finely to tie up together and make sense and come together in the climax, mm. to sort of like move one stitch, if you like, can change that and change everything about it. Indeed, it can. So um... we wanted to, although I think we probably might go back and write some more of these. Mm. The one in particular, um, The Colour of Mermaids, anyone, when you read it, you'll realise why. It allowed a bit more leeway in terms of the plotting because mm. a lot of it is what happened in the past. Exactly, yeah. But The Man in Rome 423, because it's happening right now, everything has to be right. People have to be in the right place at the right time. Just the smallest thing, you know. We had one thing that our editor caught. I can't I really remember the details now, but somebody was mentioned as they were in a certain place at a certain time and she said oh no they can't have been because you think oh god yeah and that mm. was like a hangover from a first draft of it yeah so oh, we're very no. pleased that Anne spotted that but um, <laughs> it's it's things like that that it has to come together because otherwise somebody like me, I'm very pernickety I look out for continuity errors and things mm. like that um somebody like me will go well that doesn't work yeah and you have to be really careful with these sorts of stories that, that it's not just like one coincidence after another because i have you know sometimes i've read crime novels and it's like the whole thing is solved just because a particular copper happened to be looking out of a window at that moment and that's mm. not really how real life works um mm. I mean, although well, you know sometimes it is there was a serial killer whose name i can't remember i won't go into the details because it's quite gross but he was caught when um, he came back to the site of one of his killings to perform an intimate act on himself. Uh, and God, yes. um, a policeman just happened to be there. Ah. Just happened to be doing his patrol and caught the guy red-handed. So there you go. Well, I did actually think as well, just as I was saying that, I remembered that my partner actually helped um, in the arrest of a of a wanted man. Um, he was, because he of this particular job, which I can't tell you what it is, but he they'd been sent a bulletin round by the police saying, we're looking for this guy, this is the description. And he went downstairs to send a fax, and he happened to be looking out of the window as the fax was trundling through the machine. Yeah. And the man walked past, and he yeah. was like... Ah, right. So he rang the police and they, and they about 10 minutes later, they'd arrested him. So it can happen. But I do think you have to be careful how you set that up in a book because it can come across as a bit like this author is just making everything convenient to solve the plot and the 
wrap it up and it you know you, you just have to be careful with that so it, it requires a lot of um planning and stuff doesn't it i think yeah i think so and, and um, as i said like there are crime novelists who don't plan at all but they have to do a lot of editing afterwards to tidy it up and i think for us writing together doing a very big edit of something together is quite difficult i think if you did it if you were writing your own thing it would be a challenge but it would be easier than having to do it with another, per- another person well personally i mean for me yeah. personally because we do write together it uh, yeah i'll be quite honest with people it wouldn't suit it wouldn't work for me no no. writing you know without knowing oh who done it how did they do it how did it happen how they get it caught it just wouldn't work because i would be for me personally all the time i was writing i feel like this was sort of a looming roadblock that i have to resolve this at some point and at the moment in my head i can't resolve it no um and you know it's each to their own everyone does things differently but it certainly wouldn't it certainly wouldn't work for me to do that no, um it it's the same as when i'm writing my history books my non-fiction that I know, I mean, obviously it's a lot easier because they're biographies or whatnot, Mm. but I wouldn't start writing one unless I knew inside out the person that I was writing about. I wouldn't go, well, you know what, I'll write this and I'll learn about this person on the fly. Yeah, and then halfway through you think, Okay, and now the rest of their life's quite boring, so I've mm. chosen the wrong person to no, write nobody, about. No, nobody I write about is boring. <laughs> I wouldn't write about them otherwise. Um, but yeah, for me personally, um, I like to know where I'm going. Exactly. Yeah, so it's to come down to. And, and a I lot think... of that comes down to me having lots of deadlines that I have to yeah. meet with magazines and things like that and publishers that, you know, I, I need to be properly laid out before I start. Yeah, and I think to be honest, I'm like that too in how I write and I think if 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 we were very opposite like one of us just like diving in without a plot or any idea of even what the main character's name was or who they were and I do know people who write like that but it does take a lot of editing afterwards but if we both you know if 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 you have someone who's like rigidly plots and someone who just doesn't you couldn't write together I don't think I don't it would be very difficult Mm. very difficult Mm. but the um so yeah the romantic suspense also, um, they're not as... We tend to write quite light-hearted stuff, I think. Mm, mm. Even the stuff that isn't light is pretty light, but these are a lot darker. Mm. Um, which is, you know, it's no, it's more of an observation than, than anything else. Mm. Um, but obviously, not all romantic suspense has to be, and we do have something in our bottom drawer that's a lot more... Um, I'm thinking of James and Phoebe. Oh, yes. That is a lot more... Um, Fast moving. It's more of a kind of like action thriller. Yeah, and it's very funny as well. Yeah, it is very funny. But we knew that when we started out, whereas we knew that these, because of the topics, weren't going to be funny. Exactly. You know, these are people essentially the lives at risk. Whereas the other one, yeah, there's an element of it, but it's more kind of like if you go to see, you know, um, go to see sort of a James Bond film, yeah. basically, versus watching something like. Ooh, happy so- valley or the missing or something like that you know <laughs> um that it's a bit more kind of rip roaring that there is serious stuff in it and the stakes are high but equally there's a it, there's an element of sort of like sort of a bit of a wink to you as well going you know it, it, the yeah. stakes are high but isn't it fun and we do have an mm romantic suspense which is coming out in mm. a while actually we do um and in a way that's it does have darkness in it, but I wouldn't say it's as dark as the as the man in room four two three or the colour of mermaids. Do you not think? I don't. I don't think it's as dark. I don't. But I don't know if that's maybe because I don't know that it's 
it's quite bouncy in some ways, I think. But then I think maybe that comes from... Are we well, thinking of the same? About it, are we oh. thinking of the same book? Are we thinking of Alejo? Of Alejo? Yeah, is that the book we're thinking of? Yes. Yeah, I think that's pretty dark. Do you think it's dark? Oh. That's interesting. So we co-writers, yeah, I think it's quite dark. Oh, because I think yeah. I think it's dark, but I wouldn't say it was as dark as the other the other two that we've written. But it's not as dark as Colour of Mermaids, but I think it's for me it feels as dark. The con it's not as dark in content, but the concept of what's going on in the background is very yeah. dark. I think. Yeah, the the level of threat. Oh, yeah, yes. it's yeah, super hot. Mm. Yeah, think, yeah, think, quite, think what you're thinking about it now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking. Maybe I'm only remembering certain. Bits I think of you're. Yeah, I think you've forgotten certain business. Um, <laughs> having said that, it's not what's on you. It's not out till next year, so we don't want to say too much. But no. what's on the page isn't terribly. It's not going to. You know, it's not terribly dark or traumatic. No, there is um, stuff that happens that's off the page that's a bit horrible. Yeah, that's right? quite that you go. Oh no, ah. Oh. Um, yeah. But the thing is, as well, I think that I can safely say personally that anyone that reads our books. They, they're never going to be like particularly explicitly gory or violent because no. I'm really squeamish. <laughs> so bizarrely, although I said that about zombies, I will watch, you know, horror films and zombie films so the cows come home. But I get, I'm really squeamish and I picture things if I read them. Uh... So I can, I, 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 I read something and I think back to it later on, I start picturing it thinking, oh, no, oh, you know. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so you can be sure you will never come across super explicit horror or gore in any of our books. No. And again, that's not anything against people that do. Some great authors, you know, certainly do. Certainly the person who's fizzing my gin this week has got nothing against putting revolting stuff in his work. But um, I'm just, I'm too much of a wuss to put it in. <laughs> like I'll watch zombies, but God forbid I'm not writing about, well, I would, but you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Probably turn out to be a comedy zombie. But when I tend to read crime stuff, I tend to read like May Grey, which is, the only explicit things in there is like explicit eating of ham sandwiches and beer mm. <laughs> I, think I used to read a lot but then um i was one of my many brushes with death of which i've had three um and when i say brushes with death i mean actually as in die and come back one mm. of them before I, that happened i was super into horror and i watched really violent and gory stuff um mm. and then i got really really ill and had to have like a huge operation mm. which took ages to get over and you know, has left me with incredibly dramatic scars and all this kind of thing. Oh. And that was the, um, for me, that was kind of a turning point for me where I just didn't want to see it and screen anymore. Or I still watch them, but I just can't look now. I Like Rick, my husband, he laughs at me, Mr. Curzon, because I'll go, I can't look at that. And I'll just shut my eyes, like, you know. But I used to watch anything. It didn't used to bother me at all. But I've <laughs> met other people, actually, in a similar situation who are having had major surgery or major sort of physical trauma to mm. themselves. It mm. put them off because it's, you know, it's. I could look at gore and stuff, and then I was faced with the thing of when I looked down, this huge, gory, mm. surgical wound that, you know, it's all stitched up and neat, but then all this black bruising, all that, that's on me now. And I think it's that thing, it's sometimes you can remember the pain and discomfort you were in and the mm. fear. Because I, I know I've had that when, um, and it sounds a bit lame, I mean, I fell off a ladder, but I did mm. injure myself quite badly. And mm. and then for a while after that, I really struggled. Did anything like watching like a superhero film and there's lots of like jumping off buildings and mm. like heights. Oh no, I have, I, I have to look away because I start mm. feeling that feeling of falling. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's gore because mm. I've seen that, as I say, on myself. <laughs> and... To some, you know, I've when I was ill and before my operation, I was, you know, it's not nice, and I'm not going to go in great detail, but like vomiting blood a lot, things like that, mm. and all that stuff that you go, oh no, oh, you're like, oh no, now it's me, 
Do you know what I mean? Like now that's me and it's not fun anymore. So I still watch them, but um Mr. C, he always laughs because he'll say, like, I want to watch like the teen horror stuff, you know. <laughs> well, I have um, watched you two watching um uh, stuff on the telly. And I and I do like we're sitting there watching it going, Oh, what's this? Oh look, there's some women dancing around in diaphanous nineteen seventies clothes. Oh, oh they're something horror, disgusting's happening. Oh, I don't mind going, them. Oh, I'm... Rick, no. no, 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 not in like Hammer Horror, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm talking about some, like really explicit quite, horror films. There was something we were watching all those weird trailers, and some of them were just very funny because I hadn't aged very well. But some of them were like mm. they were quite quite gruesome, and we were everyone. Oh, going, they were oh. the Grindhouse trailers though, so yeah. some of those are incredibly violent and explicit. Yeah. So no, I mean obviously things like Hammer Horror stuff like that. Of course, that's not going to bother me. Um, but I'm talking about things like. Um, Oh, I don't think it's a good example. I don't like Jarlos because they make me feel weird. They make me feel creep. I don't know. I just I always feel like something horrible going to appear. Rick loves Jarlos. Absolutely loves mm. them. But it's kind of like, um, yeah, yeah. So something like, um, I don't know, like Saw or something like that. Oh, no. That would, yeah. I, I don't, I don't but like it's also across the spirit of them so dark. And it's kind of like nihilistic. And, you mm. know, I always say um, one of the best horror films we've ever seen is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, you don't really actually see anything gory. You think you do. You don't really see anything that explicit, mm. but it feels like a nightmare. Mm. And it mm. really does feel like, you know, when you finished, it's a really old film, but it's not been lessened at all. I've seen it several times now, but when you finish watching it, you do feel like, oh my God. Like it feels like you've been on a physical journey, you know, like a roller coaster, literally. Um, but yeah, if something's just really gory, I just can't. I just can't. I'm like, no, no. We see, I was like that with um, vampire films because I liked watching mm. The Lost Boys when I was a teenager. Mm. And then I started watching other vampire films and then there were just some that were just really, really gory. And I was and mm. I was like, oh, no, I can't watch this. It's too... It upsets me. I'm like, you can't do that to another person. That's mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's like I love... Anyone that knows me knows I love zombie stuff. Mm. And obviously zombie stuff is pretty, pretty gory. Mm. Um, and I love as well. We, oh, I absolutely love Ash versus Evil Dead. If anybody listen, I'm sure some people do. Ash versus Evil Dead, fantastic TV series, and it's incredibly violent. But mm. it reaches a point where there's so much insane violence on screen, it's become kind of pantomimey. Mm. And because it's all done like Bruce Campbell's the star, and he just makes me howl with after. It's all done tongue in cheek. So although some of it you do go, oh no, there's one bit in particular that like, I can't look at that. When I know it's coming, I know it's going to come. But the other one, it's like there's like zombies getting their heads sort of exploded and things. But firstly, it's clearly CG. Mm. So I find physical effects more gross because they look more like they've got substance to them. Mm. But it's clearly CG, but there's so much of it that it's gone beyond going, oh, and it just makes you go, oh, no, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So that is weird. It's weird. And Rick, sometimes you'll say, well, how come you watch that and not this? And I always say, I don't have an answer. I'm just weirdly built. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's when it just starts see- seeming like it's more ridiculous than realistic than mm. it's. Yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can, I can grasp that. Yeah, and I'd say in our sort of romantic suspense, you won't see. You will see explicit, but it's not violently explicit. Let's put it that way. Oh, it's it's other other sorts of explicit. Yes, a, and a saucy. Big, a big dish of steamy sauce. A big dish of very gosh, oh lord, very steamy sauce for these two books. A big bathful of steamy sauce. A bathful of books. steamy sauce for both of them. <laughs> so anything explicit in these is purely on the uh, on the sauce side. Fear not. Yes. So. They're, they're, yes. I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy them. Yeah. I'm sure you will. Go and read them. Go on. Go on. now. Go. Go.
<laughs> out of the inkwell. So out of the inkwell this time is um well we've we've got lots of books that we're preparing for you um for 2020 and 2021. Indeed. We have novels and short stories coming out and we will obviously talk to you more about them as they come out. But at the moment, we are thoroughly busy with preparing those novels and short stories for you and making them the best they can be. Exactly. So, Catherine, who's putting a fizz in your gin? Well, I think potentially I've had this person in my gin before, but I don't know. So if, if I have, Ooh. twice. Well done. It's Jonathan Meads. Oh, I think you have had him in your gin before, but why not have him in there again? Um, in, in lockdown, I am loving my... Well, I, everyone knows I love Jonathan Meads. Not like that. Um, so I'm reading a lot of his books again. Um, hence why I said he's certainly not backwards about putting rather... What's the word? Um, mm. Rather visceral things in his books. <laughs> um, and I actually promised... There was one that I hadn't read before and I promised to lend it to my friend because I was halfway through and I said you're going to love this book. And then the further up there, you think, oh, she's going to think I'm really weird. That I think she's really weird that she can love this book. Um, but yes, so I'm reading a lot of Jonathan Meads. Um, I am watching a lot of Jonathan Meads just because one can't get enough Jonathan Meads. And I am waiting with absolute anticipation for his forthcoming new release, which is like a thousand pages of Meads. Oh, is that, so is that fiction or, or non-fiction? That it's non-fiction. It's... Mm -hmm. um, it's a book of essays and just sort of like thought pieces mm. written by Mr. Meads. Um, and I think if anyone knows his stuff and likes his stuff, then I think this is going to be a must read because it feels like a long time since we've had anything released. Um, and it's coming out, I think, in October and it's called Pedro and Ricky Come Again. Yeah, and so bearing in mind what he writes. <laughs> title is um <laughs> well you might you might be surprised you might be surprised but who's <laughs> who's putting the fizz in your gym i was thinking i think it's time for a, a fizz in the gin update because i think i believe last summer um the man putting the fizz in our gin was the old the older chap who went for a ride in a jet plane a jet fighter plane um, mm. and managed to eject himself by accident mm. and the um incident um, report has come out um, and it said what happened was, and I think we said this might have been what happened, was that as the plane um, went up the, the guy just reached out and grabbed some, grabbed hold of something I said that, didn't I, that yeah. he grabbed all the handle and that's, that is what happened and he, he did that, grabbed it and um, ejected himself from a, a jet fighter plane, so there you well, go well done him. Uh, well, and, well done me as well. If I had and well been a done Catherine for uh, figuring have, out. <laughs> if I'd have been a detective, I'd have solved that. Aircraft investigator. Catherine yeah, although, was. again, he was, I believe, he was quite badly injured. Yeah, so it wasn't brilliant. So um, let, let's not laugh too hard. No, but <laughs> that must have been quite an experience. And, and one of those experiences that probably your brain takes a while to catch up with. So you're there going, I appear to be... Flying through the air. <laughs> I imagine so. He was horribly shocked. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh. Like the but anyway, I there fell you into go. A harbour. Anyway. There you go. <laughs> so, um, stay safe and well again, wherever you are, yes. whatever you're doing. Um, and Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Good we reading. Will see you good soon. times. Good all that. 
Um, bye. Goodbye. Bye. bye. Find out more at our website, curzonharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music.